We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to Star Wars Rebels Season 2. Always two are there. Episode 4 or 5, depending on how you are counting. Um, this comes after, uh, of course, the great opening double episode. Um uh, Siege of Lothal, where we get major Ahsoka and Vader action, and of course the double episode uh, having to do with bringing some of the clones back into the fold, including Commander Rex, all-time friend of Ahsoka, and having Kanan start to deal with the fact that not all the clones are bad, and some of them made a choice to you know not obey Order 66, um, which we will see explored in further episodes um uh those two episodes um uh the old is it called the old commanders and relics of the old republic i believe um here's some forest stuff um are great when you first see them especially with the you know the ahsoka connection to rex but are so much more meaningful and cool after seeing um the clone wars obviously which which as i've mentioned many times i, I saw rebels through numerous times before going back to the Clone Wars, but now coming back to Rebels, I appreciate the show in general more, and Ahsoka, obviously, but definitely the clones and characters like Rex. When you see the divergence between Cody, who's like the lead murderer in Episode 3 at the beginning of Order 66, and Rex, who chose to, you know, take the chip out of his head, which I don't know is ever really explained. Here's Kanan and Rex going at it. Now, up up until uh relics of the old republic um is it relics of the old republic relics of the yeah um i was doing everything in order but i immediately wanted to see the episode where these two started to get along um so that was the first time i jumped forward in terms of my recording i'm going to be Right, Ezra's already annoyed. Um, Ezra continues to get annoyed, and, and Ezra's annoyance at Kanan, you know, has the intended effect of eventually Kanan realizing that A, Rex is a good guy, B, they need him, and C, you know, maybe Ezra is right, even though he doesn't know, specifically because he didn't go through Order 66 and is just judging Rex based on, you know, him, him as his own guy and as someone that Ahsoka loves and trusts and so forth. Um, right, here, Ezra volunteers for a mission he's not even assigned to uh, specifically just to get away from those two old guys fighting um but i wanted to see that episode so i jumped there in terms of my recording and then i really you know we had to wait almost two and a half seasons or i should say a season and a half to get our first real hair episode and our first real sabine episode um which are great um and so then i i jumped to those two uh i think what is it blood cyst um wings of the master uh and then Blood Sisters, which are back to back, which come a few after this, you know, uh, the episode with Hera and the B Wing, which is great. And then, of course, we meet Kitsu and learn more about Sabine's past and her character. It's great. So now I'm coming back and, and going back in order, and probably we'll go mostly in order going forward for the rest of season two. But as I said, these will be released obviously in order uh, of, uh, you know, the, how they were initially released. 
Um, but just wanted to give you a little insight into my process. Now, even though uh, this is the first quote unquote standalone episode in terms of not being a two parter of season two, it also introduces the two main new Inquisitor bad guys who are both great uh, and, you know, runs all the way up through the end of the season, culminating with the Maul, Ahsoka, Vader, Inquisitors, etc. in Twilight of the Apprentice at the end of the season, which, as I've said, are not only the greatest episodes of Star Wars television ever, in my opinion, but back to back, maybe with a linked with a couple other Ahsoka episodes work as well as a movie as any of the actual Star Wars movies, but we will get there. So even though this, you know, is technically a standalone episode, like so much of season two is setting up things that happen later in season two or later in the series. And this goes again to why I think, you know, season two of Rebels is maybe, I don't know if it's the best, but it's maybe my favorite because everything is connected even when at first, maybe it seems it's not. Um, of course, I cannot remember what it was like to watch these seasons for the first time. Um, so maybe I've come to appreciate this more over time. And I definitely need to watch season four more because I've only seen those episodes once or twice as opposed to the first three seasons. Which I, I have seen a ton. There's Sabine tagging the Phoenix. Um, got a little bit of sort of a horror, you know, alien, uh, uh, what are, you know, alien artifacts deep space ship sci-fi vibe which i love so much is always great in sci-fi my biggest problem is i really don't like horror movies but i do like a little bit of a scary horror vibe to my darker sci-fi so it's always a delicate balance like i could never watch a movie like you know event horizon even though I probably would love it in, in a different world. But even my, you know, kids sci-fi here with Star Wars Rebels, I like some of these episodes to be a little a little scary. Um, and uh, even though the Grand Inquisitor was an awesome concept and introduction in season one, I think having two of them who are a little bit more... Like, I don't know, like the Grand Inquisitor was was sold to us and to himself, if that makes sense, and to all the other characters as being so incredibly character as like being like a mini Vader. In the end, Kanan beats him and he doesn't really do that much other than murder some people that Tarkin doesn't like within the Empire. These guys, and you see in the comics there are m- that the emperor is either directly training or having trained a whole bunch of, of you know, brothers and sisters, as they're called, um, to do various things for him, both against the direct enemies of the empire, like the rebels within the empire, like enemies within the empire, um, and even testing Vader and stuff like that. And these are two of them. And so I guess the reason I like these two, other than like preferring these physical designs to the, you know, sharp teeth of the grand inquisitor who looks suspiciously like the son from the father's daughter, son Mortis trilogy from clone wars. Maybe we'll get back to looks very similar to the son, uh, from the episode who was voiced by Sam Witt were um who comes back to em- voice the emperor and of course maul uh and some of the rebel season who's great um but anyways so even though individually these two inquisitors may not be as powerful i suppose as the grand inquisitor grand inquisitor is dead these two know they need to work together and i think they introduce a third inquisitor at least at the end of this season and they work more like a team which makes sense if you're a dark side user who's not nearly as strong as vader or even ahsoka or maybe even kanan you know to not act like you're darth vader and be like okay we have some force powers we're decent with a red lightsaber but we need to you know work together it's also just more pleasing and fun to watch on the eyes and while this is sort of a by the book episode on its own 
with some, you know, some, some goofs and some humor, which is always, but yeah, <laughs> upside down trouts are always great, but specifically Sabine in the Mando mask upside down, you know, giving it to Ezra, it never stops being funny and adorable. Speaking of funny and adorable and murderous chopper, um, but I also can't get, I don't want to get through the episode. So we saw the fifth brother voiced by Philip Anthony Rodriguez. We're about to see the, his female counterpart, who's my favorite of all the Inquisitor designs, the seventh sister. Um, and who I have to say immediately is voiced by the amazing legendary Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy the vampire herself from the Buffy TV series in the late nineties and many famous horror movies that were bad, but nevertheless classic growing up as basically her age in the late nineties, early two thousands. Sarah Michelle Gellar was in a lot of those movies with Freddie Prince Jr. Her voice is Kanan. And they of course have been happily married for 20 years. And while neither Sarah, Michelle Gellar, neither Sarah Michelle Gellar or Freddie Prinze are like insanely famous to the mainstream, although people of my generation certainly know who they are, both being kind of heartthrobs growing up and being in, you know, like uh, like genre stuff like Buffy and other horror stuff. Um, nevertheless, you don't see that many celebs married to each other that lasts long, and they have an amazing marriage. She hasn't actually acted actively in a long time, but they were thrilled to bring her in to do some voices. She does other voices other than the seventh sister, but in terms of a recurring character in the series, um, in season two, especially the seventh sister is a great voice work that you never would know. Uh, uh, we never would know as Sarah Michelle Geller. I mean, you know, certainly there's fraternization. I, you know, I, I don't think there was any direct, like, Hey, this is my wife. Hire her. You know, they don't need the work. She's got her own career as like a, um, she kind of goops a little bit if you know Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, she's into like healthy cooking and living and lifestyle, but it's way less pretentious than Gwyneth. Uh, it's very cute. And she writes cookbooks and stuff like that. They're, you know, her and Freddie are both big family people. Neither of them have acted full time uh, up until Freddie started doing Rebels. Uh, and I don't think he's doing much else other than Rebels. I guess Rebels is done. Um, so it was great to bring that. I was going to say it was, you know, at times, there might seem to be nepotism within Lucasfilm, Star Wars, but they're all about family, both you know, both behind the scenes and on screen in Star Wars. And so to bring that family vibe, even though this is her, Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's like you know the opposite of Katie's character and a thorn in his character side this whole time, to bring that family vibe, it must have been fun to have her in the studio. And I'm sure, even though you know Freddie's not even in this episode hardly at all, was probably there hanging out and loving it. And and Sarah was probably enjoying, uh, you know. Just playing an all-out-and-out bad guy. That sounds nothing like her. You know, normally you would say, okay, Sarah Michelle Gellar hasn't gotten a lot of work. She got typecast as Buffy and then sort of like the helpless girl in the horror movies, which is like the opposite of Buffy, I guess. She's she's great and has great range. She's someone who definitely made the choice that she didn't want to pursue acting full time. Uh, Freddie Prince definitely has talked about struggling and often failing in his own words to to get work over the years. Um, uh, whereas you know it was more conscious with Sarah Michelle to to, to not go through that while while, while Freddie was. Um, they just seem like they have a great and adorable family, and you know one one of the first families of Star Wars. Now, no doubt. All right, let's see what's going on here. Not quite enough? I mean, even though they're putting her through an alien voice and a, and a mask voice filter, it, I, I can't... 
recognize anything about Sarah Michelle Gellar. Just a credit to her voice acting. Whereas Kanan is so obviously Freddie Prince Jr. And that's what makes Kanan great is that like that was the voice role he was born to play. <laughs> I wonder if they like do kinky Star Wars stuff at home. Sorry, I won't go there, guys. I think we do see her face ultimately, and it's like a yellowy face. She almost looks Mandalorian a little bit, I think, the Seventh Sister. Now, the Seventh Sister has this has an ID-7 or ID-8 droid um, that we see in Battlefront 2, and they've been using more and more in Star Wars. And in Star Wars Destiny, you know, which Jedi Geek Girl is, you know, her podcast, I Rebel, and she's one of the bosses, national players. I haven't played in a long time, but I still follow it through her and online. The Seventh Sister has become a super powerful card in the game because you can keep playing more and more droids on her and she's only as powerful as her droids. So with one droid, she's not that powerful. There she is. What an awesome facial design. Oh man. And you know, she's got the teardrop thing too, like the grand inquisitor, but it looks much different. They're clearly of a different species. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll stick with him. Right. The death of grand inquisitor was a surprise to us all. But right, I mean, this is always a dark side thing is never mourn the death of your equals or superiors when you're a Sith Lord or, you know, an Empire figure because it's just an opportunity for you. I have no plans to kill you yet. Um it is interesting, you know, that the the, the Siths and the, the Inquisitors and the other servants of the Sith, uh, they will murder millions. But, you know, the good guys, uh, let's put it this way, the one type of bad guy that the good guys in Star Wars will kill when they get a chance without thinking about it are the Sith Lords or Vader because they're trying to save millions of people's lives. And it's almost the reverse where Vader and the Sith Lords, the only people they won't murder right off the bat, I mean, partially for story reasons, but it does make sense, are people like Ezra or Luke Skywalker because they want to please Palpatine. And Palpatine, and Vader to an extent, has said, you know, if they're strong enough in the Force and we can bring them to our side, then that's what we should be prioritizing. So, you know, it allows Ezra to survive uh, longer than maybe he should, although Vader has already tried to kill Ezra, and I believe we'll try to murder Ezra again at the end of this season. Vader doesn't see in Ezra what he sees in, in Luke or Ahsoka, for whatever reason. Certainly Kanan, he dismisses. You know, and you can understand why he dismissed Kanan. I mean, Kanan's super powerful, but he's already maxed out. Well, we think he's maxed out. I mean, Kanan doesn't realize even how powerful he can get. Ezra has the higher ceiling. Although I guess we're kind of told and teased that Ezra has the higher ceiling the whole series. But if you look at what they actually accomplish as Jedi, as pure Jedi, I don't know that Ezra, even at the very end, maybe in the very final episode, the final season, uh, we see as, you know, like Skywalker level potential for Ezra. But for the most part, Ezra's strength comes from, you know, like Leia being talented in so many other things, being a moral leader, being a military leader, having a great heart, being able to resist the dark side, being super smart, much smarter than he comes off as. I mean, Kanan would be the first one to admit that Ezra is much smarter than him from a sort of an intellectual stand, like a book smart standpoint, even though he's very underdeveloped. Right. If only you had the power to protect your friends, 
I'm growing more powerful every day. Mm-hmm. Does he give away Kanan? Oh, we know about Sokotano. Who's <laughs> a Sokotano? I love this. As pretty as you are. That must have been fun. Having Sarah Michelle Geller call you pretty. I would have been like, ooh, la, la. They know about Ahsoka, and as we learn, they do know about Maul as well. And in fact, they consider Maul such a threat that they throw everything they have at him in the Twilight of the Apprentice episode, which is a thread that never gets fully explored, uh, but is, is an awesome setup to that episode. <laughs> Chopper, whenever Chopper gets you know, reactivated or, or you know, he's got to get punched after he's been paralyzed or something, he immediately... I mean, even like Zeb, they got to back off from him because he's rebooting himself. His his immediate instinct is just to like, you know, murder or think about murdering everything in sight with his, his manipulators. Or Sabine. Oh, wow, they're already not sharing information. Yeah, I got to revise what I said. They're working together purely by necessity. I thought these two maybe had a bond of like, we may be Sith, but for now we need each other. But she's already saying, I'm not saying anything. I'm guessing he knows about Ahsoka, but he's not going to mention the... I mean, he didn't even give her anything. So she's t- saying to the other Inquisitor, I'm not sharing any information, even though he- they didn't really share any information. I guess the only information is they know that, that, that Ezra and company know about Ahsoka now. They probably should have assumed that already. So the question is... She acts like we've known about Ahsoka Tano for a long time. Yeah, there's no way that was going to leave him. This isn't this isn't Spark of the Rebellion where he abandons Ezra. Even then, he feels bad. He barely knows the kid. Commander Mayluron, awesome. They're definitely not going to to buy into this. Um, so, anyways, Darth Vader is seemingly incredibly surprised by Ahsoka being alive. So we have to assume that he has passed on that information at some level to these guys who probably don't know that he's Anakin. Almost nobody other than Vader knows that he's Anakin. Even in the comics, I don't know that Tarkin or other people who have been with the Emperor from the beginning know that Vader's Anakin. Um, yeah. Just chin up. <laughs> we'll fix everything, says Zeb. Is he plotting? Planning and plotting and possibly scheming. hot Sarah Michelle Keller that she could talk like this oh man I'm sure there were plenty of Buffy episodes where she you know for plot purposes gets turned to the bad guys temporarily I haven't watched enough Buffy to know it it is funny though after she became incredibly famous and I hope rich for many many seasons for killing the undead here she's basically playing a type of, of undead as they exist. You know, I think these are all former Jedis or Padawan are the Inquisitors. We never get the full story. And I've read a lot of the comics now. And while they're in it, I'm not sure we ever get the full stories about the Inquisitors in, in, in the current canon. Oh, here we go. Boom. Lightsaber pull. Take that, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> so yeah, so Vader shares the information about Ahsoka only because he wants to get her at her. But, you know... He doesn't trust the Inquisitors for two seconds. So the fact that he told them so relatively recently, or I should say relatively quickly after finding out about Ahsoka, is interesting. So here's Force Powers of the Inquisitor. So they have some. In fact, she seems to be 
the more right he's fitting with the lightsaber she's doing the force pull there's her id7 droid that was still impressive though i mean you know yoda lifted the x-wing out of the swamp but they were putting on the full afterburner to get out of there and she almost got him it's not getting emotional yeah it's not a big deal but i did say both of you and get medical supplies by myself yeah except Seb, you wouldn't have been able to they were distracted by ezra smarty pants right and chopper never gets any credit what's funny is c-3po is constantly whining about not getting credit but he doesn't actually do anything and chopper who can't speak english it makes a much more convincing case about being neglected Oop! oh they're playing hollow chess oh here comes the discipline again i forgot that line early on where she there are many ways to find victories i'm not sure if i like you more or less now this is the beginning of the bromance uh, yeah so it does come in in waves and steps uh-oh oh no it is funny that rex does dig into canaan about discipline mm-hmm. yeah it was a group after group effort and inquisitors are nasty business Mm, no answer from Kanan about why there's not more of them. Yeah, once again, they know the most information, Kanan and Hera, and they have to constantly figure out how much to tell them so as to not scare the shit out of them. Oh, something... I'm, I'm going to talk about this in the close. Yeah, Kanan, they knew about Ahsoka. Yeah. Oh, right. Did you know? What does he say? Oh, he says No. Why didn't they just... Interesting. They could have told the kids that they didn't know, but I guess they didn't want the kids to know that they didn't know. It's tough. I'm sure they assumed. Plus, with Vader, everything is... You know, everything's up in the air in terms of reading the Force when it comes to Vader. I mean, you know, he almost killed Ahsoka with his brain on their first contact at the beginning of the season. Uh, At the same time, you know, it's clouding the less experienced Force users like Ezra and Kanan. What I wanted to mention is... What I keep running to say on my commentaries, all my commentaries, anything involving Ahsoka, all my podcasts involving Ahsoka is, I'll have to go rewatch this, but when we, the reveal at the very end of season, by the way, a decent episode, but a good introduction of the Inquisitors, and I like how they underplay it, like you don't know if they're going to be playing a huge role going forward, although it's teased pretty strongly at the end with Kanan and Hera's reaction that they will, and of course they do. Um, I'm not sure how many times they come back before uh, the mall confrontation at the end of the season, but what I was going to say was... <laughs> It doesn't seem like Kanan is shocked the way we're shocked when we first see Ahsoka at the very end of season one. Now, we know Hera's been talking to her, and even though her voice has been muffled and she's been in robes with the, the fulcrum transmissions, knowing how much Hera, actually learning how much Hera had known, it seems pretty clear that she would know that Fulcrum was Ahsoka and Ahsoka was Fulcrum and who Ahsoka was. And if that's true, then Kanan should also know that. But it's never really addressed. And so the fact that there's never a look of total shock on Kanan's face that Ahsoka's alive, and, 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 that, and but then it's never talked about, there's only two possibilities. Well, there's three. One, the writers neglected it, which I don't believe for something that important. Two, he didn't even know who Ahsoka was in the first place, but that makes no sense under any you know, timeline 
timeline of Kanan that he would not, he, she would have been even as a someone as young as him, um, or maybe slightly older during the Clone Wars. She was already a legend, commanding clones on the front line as a 15, 16 year old girl or whatever. He definitely would have known who Ahsoka Tano was. So the only conclusion you can come to is that he knew through Hera, and they just didn't want to make a big deal about it. And he's thrilled to have her on their side, but there's never a conversation at all about like, oh, where were you all this time? Or I, I didn't know you were alive. Blah blah blah. I have to assume that he knew. So, anyways, thank you for joining me. Um, next up uh, is um, let's see. Next up is Brothers of the Broken Horn, which I believe is Hondo. Yeah, I don't think I think this is Hondo's uh, introduction into Rebels, where he's older, he's a little softer. He's certainly not quite as murderous. He, he's definitely less scheming or or smart at schemes. Uh, as I mentioned in season one, they wanted to make him a little bit lighter, even though he's constantly trying to betray them. Ezra ultimately gets the better of him throughout the series, and he becomes very fond of Ezra for some right and some wrong reasons. Uh, I was shocked at how really borderline evil, if, if not just straight up bad Hondo was it during the Clone Wars, and that'll be an interesting discussion, was seeing this Hondo, seeing the sort of Disney Hondo, and then seeing the 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 horrible, you know, war, uh, uh, you know, weapons and war trading Hondo from the Clone Wars, and then coming back. Um, the character is consistent from a voice standpoint, but we'll have to talk about like what might have happened to Hondo in the meantime to make his his you know somewhat uh, lightning of a character believable, other than just tonal shift uh, between Clone Wars and Rebels. So that will be cool, and then that leads into the Wings of the Master, which is the Hera episode, and then uh, Blood Sisters, which is the Sabine episode, and then Self Strike, which is you know the first time we get the full on uh, bromance going between Rex and, and Kanan, um, all of which. Which I have recorded, um, and so, but they'll be released in order. And then we're almost halfway through the season, and we've got a lot going on with Ahsoka. We got the Leia episode, uh, the Inquisitors come back, and all sorts of fun stuff happens. So, thank you so much for joining me. Um, for always, two there are. I will see you on Wings of the Master. May the Force be with you. And for now, the Bizzlecast is out.